Syzygy, episode 109, Something from Nothing. And welcome back to another edition of the Syzygy Podcast. My name is Chris Stewart, sitting as usual around the round table in her office. Dr. Emily Brunson, how are you doing? Hello, hello. I'm well, thank you. Good, good. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 6th of June, which you have told me is a very important day in your in your memory. You remember this one. Why is that? What happened on the 6th of June? Well, the 6th of June 2012 yeah. happens to be one of the few dates of my life where I can look back and I can tell you exactly what the weather was on what that the day. 6th of June 2012, that's like 11 years ago and you know what the weather was. So something happened. I'm guessing it's astronomical. Oh, this, yes. Yeah? yeah, okay. Because weather related, I'm guessing that the outcome wasn't great. No, what, not so in what this happened case. on the sixth of June, twenty twelve? So, and we had the transit of Venus, right? Yes, Good. I do remember that. Yeah, so Venus passed in between the Earth and the Sun. Yeah, that's not usually something which is interrupted by the weather, though. Well, the actual transit happened. <laughs> it's going to happen regardless. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it was lovely transit. It was visible from many places in the southern hemisphere. I was in Christchurch in New Zealand at the time, uh, and it was just one of the. It's one of these very uh, rare events. So you often see in the media, you know, this is the last time you're going to see a moon this particular size for whatever. It doesn't mean anything, yeah. right? The moon's just. We had one of those the other day. My daughter said to me, Dad, what's a what's a strawberry moon? It's like, oh, it's literally nothing. Darling, don't worry about it. It's probably the first full moon in June. So let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but this transit of Venus is actually one of these rare events. Yeah, that's um, actually a thing. Yeah, yeah. So, And we're not going to see another one, I think, for another 70-odd years or something like that. Wow, okay. So it yeah. kind of, was kind of my last shot, at least, to, yeah. to so see Yeah, so you really thing. wanted to, to, you know, see this one. Yeah, so it's a big deal. Um, we, at the University of Canterbury at the time, I worked with the outreach team and we put together this big program we had school kids coming in on buses to come to lecture theaters we had solar telescopes getting set up so people could look we had a live link down to the observatory um, at mount john it was just it was exciting it was a great great sounds great good day was it it snowed (laughs) (laughs) okay that's not just that's not just bad weather that's i mean normally right if it snowed like that would be exciting do you get much snow in, in Christchurch? Not very often, no. Not You're lucky if no. you get it once a year, Right, really. so that would be exciting. This would be great, well, fantastic, yeah. except mm. except for the fact that we wanted to actually be looking at something else. Yeah, so the buses couldn't bring the kids in. <sighs> yeah, we couldn't sit. We, well, there's a zero point pointing at a solar <laughs> telescope at a cloud of snow, isn't there? Um, it's a very difficult thing to put down on the risk assessment as well is, yeah. what if it snows? Well, I guess we all go home then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But, you know, it's not snow- snowing today here in York, but that's all right because we don't need to look up anyway. No. Instead, today, we are going to be, uh, we're actually basing the entire episode today around a listener question. We had an email through uh, through our website, syzygy.fm, if you feel like throwing us a question. You can do exactly the same as listener Eve Sprouts. Eve, I hope I've got your name right there, who uh, wrote to us last week and said, the subject of the email was, how much energy in the universe? Hi, Emily and Chris. First of all, I just wanted to say thanks for making such an, a fabulous podcast. Well, you're very welcome. Oh, I just yes. had, to, had to throw yeah. that one in. Lovely. Um, really enjoyed the most recent episode, Biggest Bang Ever Part 2. You mentioned um, the boat being the, the Big Bang, right? The biggest or the brightest of all time being the, the Big Bang, mm-hmm. right? And it's harder to get more boaty than, than the big one. It's the biggest than the boat. Big bang. And led me to wonder, she says, how much total energy is there in the universe, 
I know it must be conserved, so it can't be created or destroyed. But does that mean that there's a fixed number of joules of energy? And do we know what that is? How much is there? Can we find out? Mm. Emily, do we know how much energy there is in the universe? That's the episode for today. Yeah. yeah. That's a brilliant, brilliant question. It's a really good question. And it's one that, that did make the both of us just sort of sit back a little bit and go, uh, that's hmm. That's not simple. Mm. So we're doing an entire episode on that today. Emily, where do we begin? How much energy? And like, are we going to include in this the whole Einsteinian concept of energy is all the stuff? Like yeah, it's, well, it's absolutely. Mass, matter, particles, radiation, it's all the same stuff. Well, we've, got to, we've got to go everywhere with this, okay, right? Good. Do the biggest thing. All right, kick us off then. So I'm clearly going to do the astronomical approach to this question, right? So Chris may have different opinions slash theories slash other approaches research. are available yeah, yes yeah that he'll bring in later but let's let's start with the astronomical approach let's do that but i'm going to actually start with the philosophical mm. approach before we get here and that's going to break the question down okay good so what is the energy of the universe we're going to have to look at what is energy first of all what is universe <laughs> That's also quite important. And there's a third- What do the words how much and is mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and definitely when are we talking about? Because that right. turns out to be an important question <laughs> right. as well. So, yeah. As we mentioned, this is not a, this is not a trivial question. We mm. need to define all the things before we can even begin to think about what the answer might be. Okay. Yeah. okay. Kick us off. So let's start with what is energy? So we as uh, physicists, as astronomers, understand energy to be- Kind of, it's a, is it, what is it? I don't what, want to do this philosophically. What, what is energy? I don't want to do that. In the what, what is it? I mean, Feynman was the, is, is quite famous. Richard Feynman, the, the great theoretical physicist who also did an extraordinary job of, of um, pulling apart concepts of, of physics and, and cosmology and explaining them in, I was about to say in simple terms. That's not strictly true, but but in <laughs> but in understandable terms. And and he always talked about energy as being uh, energy is accounting, hmm. right? We have ways of measuring what's going on around us in the universe, measuring what things do. You know, hmm. cars driving along the road, balls rolling downhill, light zooming its way across space from the sun and so on. And in order to describe what those things are doing, we find that there are certain things that we can calculate which are really useful. Hmm. And those things can be sort of collectively termed as different kinds of energy. But, I mean, what is it? It's, to Feynman, it's a way of keeping track of what's going on. But is it is it actually stuff? That's where it becomes complicated. Yeah, well, that's actually a pretty good, um, I guess, first jumping off point. Yeah, it's accounting. If we convert that sort of concept into astronomy, mm -hmm. then the things that are energy that matter, at least in the universe, well, first of all, we've got photons. Mm -hmm. Photons are energy, or they can uh, they have energy, or radiation, if you want to talk about sort of collectively photons. So we talk about photons having a particular energy. You have high-energy photons like ultraviolet X-ray photons. You have low-energy photons like radio photons. And kind of the middle stuff are the ones that we see, the optical ones. Yeah. It's worth it's worth pausing at, at that point, just, just to, to sort of put a little box around some of that philosophical stuff. When we say photons have, have energy, like what, but, but what does that mean? Like it almost, the mental image is almost this, this glowing thing coming through the universe. But, you know, it is, it's, it's a photon. It is light. So you mm. can't really think of light mm. as glowing. That's a bit weird. When we say something like a photon has energy and has a certain amount of energy, lots of energy, small amount of energy, that's in relation to what can it do when it hits something, when it gets mm. absorbed by something. And the energy 
embodied with a photon, with a particle of light, can be transferred to something else to make it do something. For mm. example, if it hits a solar panel, it can mm. be converted into a different kind of energy which makes electrons flow in a circuit, that kind of thing. So it's that accounting idea of how much of this number, which we'll call energy, does this photon have? Large amounts of energy, small amounts of energy. And we can calculate that really, really carefully. It all adds up. Mm. But it's very difficult to answer, what, what is it? What is this thing? <laughs> yeah. So, well, let's say the radiation or the photons carry some energy. Now, I led with this because it's actually very, very small in terms of the overall energy that we see in the universe. Yeah. At least in today's universe. Not a lot. Yeah. Um, some estimates are kind of around the uh, 0.01% or probably less. So you're saying of, of all of the photons? Of all, all the, the energy in the in the universe, this, the photons and the radiation make up 0.01% right. or less. That's not a lot. When you when you consider it, like it, it feels like there's quite a lot of it. Mm. You know, you look at the sun, don't look at the sun. That's a bad thing to do. But if you were to, you know, look at how much energy is coming off the sun, it seems like quite a lot. And we depend on, like that's where all of our, almost all of our energy on Earth comes from, ultimately, is from the sun. It feels like, there's a lot of that, mm. but turns out no, it's very, no. It's, a, it's a it's a rounding error. Yeah, it's completely ignorable in right. the context okay. of what we're going to do cool. today. So that's why I wanted to start with that. Let's get rid of that. We're just going to ignore it from now on. Thank you, photons. Right. You've done your work. So the next one you might want to think about is mass, mm -hmm. and we talk about mass and energy being kind of an equivalent thing because we can exchange. Mass and energy. So you can turn mass into energy. You can turn energy into mass. Yeah. This is the whole E equals MC squared thing mm -hmm. that Albert Einstein is just, you know, so famous for. Um, and it's it's more than just this amount of mass is equivalent to this amount of energy. Like you literally can and routinely do turn one into another. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Well, the sun's doing it all the time, for yeah. example. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Nuclear reactions are doing this all the time. And even to a certain degree, chemistry does. You mm -hmm. know, when, when you're combining atoms together to make different kinds of chemical molecules and so on, the very small differences in the amount of energy that the different atoms and the different molecules have in configuring themselves in different ways become different kinds of energy. Mm. You know, it's it's you can you can see it, you can do it. Yeah. So now this is where you might have expected this question to start off with. Right? Mm -hmm. Thinking, okay, so we've got some mass in the universe. That's very obvious, right? We have planets that we yeah. That we I'm, like to I'm live looking on. at some right now. Yep. You know, some <laughs> many well, of them. <laughs> quite quite a lot in the, in this office. There's right. a lot of mass here. Planets. So we have yeah all the obviously the atoms that are on planets, but planets, stars, galaxies, gas, dust. Whatever, all the stuff yeah. that's in the universe, right? It's kind of the most most obvious and familiar kind of energy mm. that, that we know of because we we are it. Yeah. Now, if you were to sort of we, – we live in a very energy or um, in a very mass-dense environment being here on planet Earth, right? So where there's a lot of matter around us yeah. compared to, say, the – huge voids of empty space which exist elsewhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this a while ago. Um, and, you know, I know it's come up on a few different podcasts of, you know, space is completely empty, right? It's a vacuum. No, no, it turns out, no, there's there's stuff in space. Hmm. Um, you know, we talked, was it last week, about, you know, a, a shockwave from a supernova reaching us. Hmm. So shockwave through what? Well, through the inter interstellar vacuum, yeah. right? And it's not a vacuum. It's got stuff in it, enough to be able to carry a shockwave. It's not empty. It's a hell of a lot emptier than than this room. Yeah. Yeah. So you have different 
I guess, classes of empty as well. You have the space between, say, the planets and the solar system. That's empty, but not particularly empty. There's yeah. stuff there. Then you have the space between stars. That's a bit emptier again. Then you have the space between galaxies, and that's really quite empty. <laughs> so there's, there's hardly anything in that at all. Yeah. And then you have these structures in the larger universe called voids, which are right, really, really, really empty. So, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> okay. but not actually empty. But no, anyway. But very, yes. very little, yeah, yeah. very little stuff. So so what we're going to do is take all the mass and just kind of smooth it out because just counting stars and planets and galaxies kind of gets hard. So what we do is we talk about the density of matter. Okay. So we smooth it all out and just pretend it's equal, which on the very, very largest scales of cosmic structure is a good assumption. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a nice illustration of that is we've talked a few times on the, on the podcast over the years about um, the cosmic microwave background. Right, mm. where you where you look at the the wash of background energy across the universe, and the the thing that the the physicists and the cosmologists focus on are, you know, if you go and Google that phrase, cosmic microwave background, you'll see these really bumpy pictures of the universe, you know, the the, the sky, which are filled with little bumps. And that's the bit that we focus on, ignoring the fact that those bumps are tiny. And yeah. actually, the wash of radiation across the universe, this background, is almost completely uniform. Mm. It's almost exactly the same in every single direction we look. Yeah. And so you can kind of make the same assumption really about matter. It doesn't, in some cases, it doesn't really matter the fact that you've got clumps of matter. Can, I'm using matter <laughs> we, in too many different we, senses. We live now. on an anomaly yeah. here that yeah. we live on a particularly clumpy clump. Yep. But generally speaking, what you're saying is we can just wash those clumps away yep. and we've just got matter spread evenly through the universe to, to a good approximation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if we do that. So you end up with a density of something like four and a half times 10 to the minus 28 kilograms per meter cubed. Okay, so let's just think about that. Per meter cubed, you can think about that, right? Mm -hmm. A meter, like put your arms out, that's, that's a couple of meters. So, you know, meter by meter by meter mm -hmm. and 10 to what? 10 to, to the, the minus, minus 28. That's not a lot. <laughs> it's, it's very little. It's more or less a proton. There's one proton in a large cardboard box. Yeah. On average. <laughs> on average in the universe. So one that's, hydrogen nucleus. That's insane. That's yeah. like that's too yeah. That's like a hydrogen atom in a in a big packing crate. Yeah. That's madness. So that's the average density wow. of let's 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 put the the prefix here that's gonna give you a clue of yeah. ordinary matter. Ordinary matter, okay. In the universe. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Park so that's that. the, that's the yeah. stars, the atoms, you know, yeah. galaxies, all the stuff that we know and love is what we would call yeah. mass on an everyday that, that basis. That really does point out, doesn't it, that that even though we are focused on the the planetary bits and the starry bits and the galaxy bits, and even the clustery bits, actually the universe is basically empty. <laughs> There's not a lot of stuff in it. No. Yep. So let's go to the next part. So I said ordinary matter. What's the not ordinary matter? Yeah. It's, of course, the dark matter. Dark matter. Well, this has come up recently. We've yeah. talked a bit about it. Yeah. So this is- And there's a lot more of that, Oh well, Yeah. Think. Yeah. There's about five times more dark matter than there is ordinary matter. Mm-hmm. So if we, we we don't really know what dark matter is, but we've, we're fairly good at understanding what it does. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, it, you know, we, we see its effect. We see mm. its gravitational effect. We yep. know that there's something there. And there are loads of theories around about what that might be. Um, but no one's actually definitively said, no, I've seen it. I've got it. Got some here in a jar. This mm. is what it is. Yeah. Um, and so 
So it behaves a lot like ordinary matter that we know and love. It just doesn't seem to want to interact with photons, and that's yeah. I mean, okay, that's a choice. That's the, yes, <laughs> that's a perfectly valid lifestyle choice, yeah. um, and that's the dark part. Yeah. Right? It's dark. We can't see it in the sense that it doesn't interact with the electromagnetic field with with light, but it definitely does through gravity because yeah. that's the whole point. We so it behaves know it's well there. with gravity, sure. Yeah. And so let's assume that it is a thing mm. and it is there. Yep. There's five times more of that than the visible matter. Roughly, yeah. yeah. So, so that's like five hydrogen atoms worth of dark matter within this large packing crate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's a rounding area, but if you put, put all the ordinary matter and the dark matter together, yeah. you get about five protons in your box. Yeah, right? which is still not a lot, can I just point out? No, no, <laughs> still not, not many, not many. Because those things are really small. Yeah. So altogether, that's all the stuff that behaves nicely with gravity. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to take this a little bit sideways in our calculation here. So we've got a density of all the matter that behaves with gravity. Now, that's important. That number is actually really, really important. It's something called the critical energy density of the universe. Right. So what the – well, there is a number that exists that's called the critical energy density, and it turns out that the observations that we make – seem to be almost exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So the critical energy density is we imagine that we've got gravity, which is trying to pull all the matter together in the universe, right? So you you have in space and, and with the absence of any other gravitational fields, you put two pieces of matter together, they'll have a gravitational attraction, they'll move towards each other. Right. right? That's what gravity does. Yeah. So the whole universe does that on the grandest scale, right? All the galaxies are attracted to each other gravitationally, for example. So um, the critical density is asking the question, with gravity and all this matter, what is the, the density of matter you need for the universe to be perfectly balanced, Right. So if we are expanding out currently from the Big Bang, the universe is expanding, what is the amount of matter or the density of matter in the universe such that that expansion gets slowed down, slowed down, slowed down by gravity till it just gently comes to a nice little stop? Okay. And, and this is a hypothetical at the moment because, I mean, I guess we'll yeah. come to in a second, like, is that what we're doing? Is that what we're doing at the at the moment are we are we on that critical edge but we can come to that in a second mm. let's just hypothetically say we have a universe yeah it went kablooey yep. 13.8 billion years ago or whatever it is for reasons unknown as yet but it did that expanding ever since and so you know like a like a car coasting along the road with its engine you know turn the engine off it's just going to slowly come to a halt mm. That's the idea here. Yeah. We're expanding and gravity's pulling back. And so the critical density is how much mass do you need for that to just just reach zero over an infinite amount of time? It just just drifts to a stop. As opposed to what? Too much mass, too much energy in the universe where it expands and then it clumps back together again. The, yeah. the gravity takes over and it goes, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. And everything crushes back again in a big crunch. Mm-hmm. Um or what? What's what's the other side of the critical? Or the opposite is that the gravity is not strong enough, so the universe just keeps on expanding, expanding, expanding for and forever and ever and ever. Right. Not that it speeds up, but that it's that it just keeps coasting on. Yeah, exactly. In the sense of the car going along the road, it's like there's no friction. Yeah. It just just keeps going yeah. forever. Yeah. So okay. gravity is not strong enough to overcome that. Okay. Yeah. So the critical energy density, if you do your sums and mm-hmm. look at the cosmological models, turns out to be this five. Protons per cubic meter. Right. Which is 
what we've got. Which is what we've got. Right. So we are struggling, we collectively <laughs> are really struggling to say, have we got more than five photons per cubic meter? Have we got fewer? It's, it's, the, the, it's really hard to we're, measure. We're this. right on that edge. We're right on this boundary. So yeah. basically it seems for all measurements that we've got, we're pretty much bang on this critical energy density. Yeah, which like given all of the possible ways that could have gone <sighs> – Again, we sort of come back to that, like, why would we be special? Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah, why, but does why feel, would there be exactly that amount? But but anyway. It feels a little bit coincidental, it does doesn't bit, it? Yeah. But anyway, um, maybe it's just our measurements aren't precise enough yet. It could be. Yeah, it could just be that we're close to it, which wouldn't be surprising. It would just be that's where we are. But being exactly on it would be weird. Or maybe there's some other piece of physics that we don't understand well, maybe yet. maybe there is. Maybe so. there's a deeper reason why. Anyway, let's come we, – we, we've got our five – protons per cubic meter so from that we've we know that's our density now you can get to the um, you can then calculate basically what the entire mass is of the universe but we're going to sidetrack again and answer the second question that i pulled out from this original question which is we talked about what is energy Mm -hmm. second part is what is universe (laughs) yeah okay Second because part of the definition. If you're going to say, well, that's the density, that's per cubic meter, and you want to say, well, how many cubic meters do we have? Mm. You've got to figure out how big the universe how is. Big's the, how big is the universe? And that's that's not a simple question. It's really not. <laughs> um, so, well, there's a, there's a short answer and there's a long answer. The short answer is there's the observable universe. Sure. Yeah. So how much universe we can see. Now, that is a some chunk of the universe which we're in, which is about 46 billion light years across. Mm-hmm. And we, we encountered that a, a few episodes ago because that seems counterintuitive because the universe is only 13.8 billion years old. So how could we see something which is considerably bigger that, than that in, in light years? But the answer to that is that well, it hasn't always been that big. <laughs> it, was, well, it used to be much smaller yeah. and the light's been travelling towards us. Yeah, so. and the universe has been growing. Yeah. So the yeah, expansion yeah. of the universe. Yeah. So it's all possible. Yeah. Go and listen to that episode. Yeah, yeah. So so that's the that's the amount of universe we can see. That's the amount of universe we get information from uh, currently. Sure. It does kind of imply, though, that there might be bits that we can't see. Well, the, well there are because yeah. every, every second that ticks by, a little bit of universe goes beyond our horizon of what we can see. Yeah, which is kind of a weird thought, isn't it? Mm. Gone forever, mm. literally. So a bit scary. Anyway, mm. so you, so the short answer to the question then is you can take that size of the universe, you're 46 billion light years across. You can say the universe has a density of five protons per cubic meter. You can multiply your density by your volume and you get the mass. Mm-hmm. And that number comes out to be something like 10 to the 54 kilograms. Right, which is a big number. Big number. That's a lot. Lots of kilograms. Yeah. Um, or you can convert that to an energy using Einstein's E equals MC squared, which gives you 10 to the 70 joules. Even bigger number. So 10 to the 70 joules, and that's in the observable universe. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go, Eve. There's your answer. That's how yeah. much energy there is in the universe. 10 to the 70 joules. End of story. Solved. Yep. There's a few asterisks. <laughs> Asterisk number one may not be end of story. Yeah. Okay. That's the observable universe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a fairly good number for the amount of energy that's in the form of dark matter and ordinary matter in the observable universe. Sure. You can ask the question, well, how big is the actual universe? Not just the bit we can observe. Sure. We've got no idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, by definition, we've got no idea. You could, you could, you know, come up with 
hypotheses. There are loads of cosmologists out there, theoretical cosmologists, looking at it and going, well, what if it was this? But we can't know because we can't see it. Well, you've got to answer a very fundamental question first, which mm -hmm. is, is the universe finite or infinite? Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if it was infinite, that would be easy. Mm. It's just infinite. Yeah. You know, we can see the bit we can see and then it goes on forever. Mm. Yeah. But we- that, that's, it, that breaks your mind quite yeah. quickly, doesn't it? it? I mean, it literally does. It literally does. I mean, the the first mind-breaking part of that is, yeah, but how do, you, how do you get an infinite universe out of a Big Bang that was an infinitely small dot? But like, just don't, let's, let's not- lose sleep over that today mm. the more important question is like could we ever know whether no. or not the universe is finite or infinite no that's we can't because we can't see it. we can't get any information information can only travel as fast as the speed of light we're pooched that's yeah. it we can't i mean i guess it's it's conceivable that there are other ways that there are more fundamental ways and looking at things like the curvature of the universe the curvature of space-time but even then, I, I'm not aware of any really good ways to determine whether or not the universe as a whole is this or that, um, that, are, <laughs> that are certainly testable. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not sure whether or not there's anything that I've, that I've missed. I could go and do some homework. But as far as I know, that's unknowable no. at this point. No. So that's a kind of a, a little asterisk that we'll put there. Yeah. There's another big asterisk to put there which is that it turns out we don't just have baryonic matter, ordinary matter. We don't just have that and dark matter. Dark matter, yeah. We've got another form of energy, which is the elephant in the room. Yeah. Which is dark energy. Dark energy. This is the one that came up with all of the observations of supernovae, right? Mm -hmm. um, back in the, what, in the 90s? 97, I think. Discovered. The there were, there was, was some, yeah. some observational studies which were looking at the supernovae and looking at that as a distance scale across the universe and, and actually trying to measure the expansion of the universe on the assumption that it was either just coasting along at that, at that you know, critical level or probably slowing down, well, you know, as gravity pulls it together. And it turns out that's not what they saw. No, no. What, they what saw it? the accelerated expansion of the universe. Right. So the expansion of the universe was speeding up. Yeah, which is not... That's not what you expect. Yeah. That really came out of the blue. Because if gravity is pulling everything together, at most, if we were right on that or just beyond that critical density, you might see the universe coasting along at constant speed. Mm. Maybe. But speeding up, yeah. that's like that. There's something causing that. There's an action there. And it's not that it's, you know, someone's grabbing this galaxy and that galaxy and pushing them apart in that sense it's it's that the the you know the idea is that the space time itself is expanding mm. and accelerating like it's speeding up more and more being being created yeah. every instant how the hell does that work where does that well, come from no nobody knows so i think probably the, the one of the most straightforward ways to think about dark energy is it's a it's an extra force it's a, a pressure that's pushing matter apart. We don't know why. We don't know what does it. We don't know why it suddenly appeared somewhere around three, maybe four billion years ago. It wasn't certainly in the very early universe for reasons we don't know. Yeah, there's, it, there's a lot of don't know. If it was there, it wasn't dominating, certainly. No, yeah. No. So, yeah, that's a tricky one. Really weird. And it's called dark energy, as you say, because it's, you know, we, we don't, we're no idea, literally no idea what it is. Um, it's really hard to even 
pose the question, what mm. what is it? But it is some kind of, you know, force or or process. Mm. And it has an energetic impact on the universe. It Does. is putting energy into the universe. Huge amounts. And huge amounts. Like yeah. again, this isn't a rounding error. This isn't like photons, where no. it's like we could pretty much ignore electromagnetism. Hmm. Um this is big. It's huge, like yeah. So how big. Well, if you add up all the energy now in our energy budget of the universe, we have our ordinary matter mm-hmm. that comes out at something like 4.6. Yeah, we're not so special really, are we? No, that's, that's very special. planet The dark matter, that was about four or five times. That's mm-hmm. 23%. Okay. So that gives you 72% more or less of the universe's energy is dark energy. It's, I mean, it's not a good look, is it? No. Really, that, that – Seventy-three percent, and then add on the dark matter, which we mm. still haven't nutted out yet. Um, you're up to over ninety-five percent of the universe that we don't actually know what it is, Emily. I'm not no. holding you personally responsible. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's not a good look. And we're not that great on the four point six percent. Let's be honest, <laughs> either. Be honest. So. <laughs> I mean, that's the easy one. That's yeah. the low-hanging fruit. Well, yeah. So you know, we're, we're working on it. Yeah, yeah. But we're then again, on. you know, you've only had a half decent telescopes for a hundred years or so. So you know, I'll give you give you time. Yeah, so best estimates, if you convert that to a density, is it ends up being something like 7 times 10 to the minus 27 kilograms per metre cubed. It doesn't make sense because it's not a matter, a piece of matter. Yeah, but if you were to make that equivalent. So it's a little bit less than the density of the the critical density. Right. So it's a bit less than that. Okay. It's energy, so it's 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 perhaps not the greatest number to compare anyway. Because <laughs> we're not talking about matter converting yeah. to energy; it's just dark energy yeah. itself. But point is, there's a lot of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that that stuffs up your critical density yeah. completely. It does rather. Yeah. So you had this lovely balance where you just had gravity, mass, Big Bang. Mm. Whatever. Cool. Everything everything was looking nice and simple, if somewhat perplexing. Like, why would it be that way? Mm. And then dark energy comes in and goes, hold my beer. I'm going to just completely mess you up with this one. Yeah. So yeah. dark energy has an effect on the, obviously, the ultimate fate of the universe, depending on how strong it is. So if it gets, if it gets stronger and it starts pushing harder, let's say, it's going to push the universe apart quicker. Yep. So that's And if that keeps thing. accelerating, I mean, you know, the talk about things like the big rip Hmm. where it just speeds up and speeds up and speeds up until eventually it just tears everything apart. Mm, (laughs) Space space time is expanding so so quickly and accelerating so quickly. Not even atoms can stay together anymore. There's a very long way in the future, but – could be. Could be. Could yeah. be. Or it could just die out and go away. I mean, it seemed to come up, come from nowhere. Mm. Could just go, oh, sorry, didn't mean to do that. Oops. Yeah. I'll just go over here now. <laughs> Forgot to turn that switch off. Sorry. So, yeah, yeah that just adds huge question marks now to your sums about what's yeah. going to happen to Does the universe. Rather. Does rather. So where where is this pointing us, Emily? Like, the, you know, the original question was a really simple one. Yes. I kind of feel like we're 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 losing grip on this really <laughs> simple question, which was, "Hey, Chris and Emily, how much energy is there in the universe?" And our answer seems to be, "Well, we can answer that question for at least the amount of energy that comes from baryonic matter and dark matter." Baryonic the- matter being being the matter that we're familiar with. Yeah, sorry, stuff. Yep. Norm- ordinary yep. matter, dark matter. In the observable universe, mm-hmm. and here comes the last bit that I mentioned before. Now. Now. <laughs> yes. <sighs> Sorry, everyone. Yes. Yeah, when does matter? When yeah. matters in the universe because the everything's changing. 
<clears throat> as we said, the in it, the dark energy didn't used to be around. Mm-hmm. Now it seems to be pretty, you know, dominating. Mm-hmm. Um, dark matter does weird things with the expansion of space time. Um, so density wise, if you take your ordinary matter, right? Let's say you've you've expanded your universe, which means you've doubled your volume. So therefore, your density goes down by half, right? Because you've now spread out those same few protons over a bigger volume. Then dark matter doesn't do that. Dark matter appears to have some kind of uniform density. So if you double your volume, you still have the same number of particles per meter cubed. Okay, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. That's weird. I mean, you know, so much of what I've heard and read about dark matter is still, yeah, we think it's still like stuff. Hmm. Like we think it's still particles like we know particles kind of to be. And that doesn't sound like stuff well, that we know, no, right? No, it doesn't, it doesn't, because particles can come out of energy. Well, yeah, well, yeah, okay. So it's it's a bit confusing. So yeah. if that is the case and dark matter does behave like that, so with the expansion of the universe, then, of course, as the universe gets bigger, the amount of energy from dark matter will increase over time yeah. as, it, as more dark matter comes in. Yeah. But Okay, it's, all right. Yeah. So here's, here's, a, here's a preliminary answer to the question of how much yep. energy is – in the observable universe, yep. Now, yep. In terms of common or garden variety, as you say, baryonic matter, matter that we know, mm-hmm. and and you know all of the all of the um, the radiation, the the electromagnetic energy, bit, yep. of a, bit of a rounding error, but let's throw that in there as well. All the photons and so on, and all the dark matter, yep. Whatever that is, yep. But we can see its gravitational effect. Yep. All of that. Now, yep. in the observable universe is... 10 to the 70. 10 to the 70 joules, joules of energy. And it doesn't really matter what the universe, unit of that is because 10 to the 70 is a really big number. And so choose choose your favourite unit. It's still quite a I large amount. I tried to convert this to something that you could get your head around. There's, no, you can't. Well, yeah, One the, followed by 70 zeros is beyond mortal comprehension. Doesn't doesn't work. But if, you, if it helps, it probably doesn't. But we, talked, a about, shot anyway. we talked about the goat a couple of episodes ago. Yes. That, that was that big um, explosion that came from mm-hmm. the huge clump of matter that went into the black yep. hole. Goats da, on da, 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 da. Yep, yep. That was 10 to the 46 joules. 10 to the 46 joules. Okay, so it's like one and a half, a bit over one and a half of those. No, 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 that's not no, right. no, no, it's not. It's no, <laughs> no, that's, that's me powers making of the, 10 don't work like that. Powers of 10. That's me making dumbest error. It's almost that. That squared. times 10, times yeah, 10, yeah. times 10, yeah. times 10, times 10, and do that about 40-something times. It's a lot of those. times, yeah. Right. So this is, yeah, it's a lot. It's it's to the point where that hugest, goatest boat of uh, an explosion is literally nothing in comparison to all of the stuff. Which is what you'd expect, right? Yeah. Even yeah, a yeah. big explosion in the universe is not going to be significant in terms of the energy sum of the universe. Yeah. Which just goes to show that that you know the boat really is the big bang, mm. right? That that it's we're we're talking about quantities of stuff mm. in the broadest sense of the term, which are just off the scale of comprehension. Even the biggest thing that we can look at and go, that thing there, how big is that? This big explosion, the biggest of all time, the biggest mm-hmm. that it might ever be, is still absolute rounding error to yep. the rest of stuff. Yep. Which is pretty awesome. Mm. Okay. Well, there's there's an answer. Yeah. So I've done my sums. That's yep. it. Well Solved done. the problem. So I'll submit my work for marking now. Excellent. Now I'm going to wade in with another really big asterisk, <laughs> which is from like, okay, you're the astronomer in this podcast. 
My distant background is in particle physics, and I left that behind the best part of 23 years ago, but I still like to try to vaguely keep up with things. And I'm going to throw in a large asterisk, which is, I think you're wrong. I don't think the amount of energy in the universe is 10 to the 70 joules. I think it's somewhat smaller than that. Oh, no. In fact, there's fairly strong arguments to say that it might actually be exactly zero. Ah. Which is which is which is weird, but also a really nice number to deal with, right? It's it's much easier to wrap your head this around. It sounds than like 10 you've been the talking to theoretical physicists again. Yeah, there might have been a few cosmologists and theoretical physicists involved here. In fact, most of the ones that you've probably heard of have come up in this particular line of work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you think of any great theoretical physicists and great cosmologists um, working in the theory side of things, they'll 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 be in here. Somewhere, mm-hmm. but the whole idea is this: Look, we talked about gravity pulling things together, right? And so, here's how to think about how zero might make sense, mm-hmm. right? If you take two objects, they are gravitationally attracted to each other. Yeah, they will pull together. Yep. You can even do this as an experiment in in undergrad physics labs. If you set up things really, really carefully, it's called the Cavendish experiment. You can measure the tiny, tiny, tiny gravitational attraction between two, say, kilogram-sized balls on a really, really fine um, torsional um, pendulum. Mm-hmm. Right? You can do it in the lab. It's, it's there. It's real. But it's attractive. It's always attractive, which means if you grab those two things and pull them apart – You've got to do work to do that. You've got to put energy in Hmm. to do that, right? You're putting energy in to pull them apart, which means that when gravity pulls them back together, the energy is going the other way. The gravity is doing a negative amount of energy. It's putting a negative amount of energy into that system. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where we sort of come to that whole accounting Hmm. thing is energy goes up, energy goes down. And when you study physics in, in high school and at university, We deal with this by saying things like gravity or even like positive and negative charges they attract and repel, right? Yeah. We can say, well, look, it doesn't really matter where you set your zero to be, right? A ball rolling down a hill will be increasing in speed. So it's gaining speed energy, right? Kinetic energy. And the amount of gravitational, what we call gravitational potential energy, is going down Mm. as it goes down that hill. And the two balance out, right? It starts with no energy at the top and it's moving quickly at the bottom. So it's got kinetic energy, but it's lost gravitational potential energy and the two cancel out and you've got zero again. Mm. But that says, well, let's assume that the energy is zero at the top of the hill doesn't really matter in those calculations no. where you set the zero You could have be. set it at the bottom of the hill. Right, exactly. And so physicists just, just get used to saying, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, because it's, it's, it's just relative difference, hmm. right? And we get used to doing that. But then the cosmologists get involved and go, yeah, but, but when the universe began, right, <laughs> what, if, what if there was nothing? What if there was zero? And... Somehow, something came into being. We borrowed a bit of energy to make some matter, and we'll worry in a minute about how that might happen. Just put oh, a big quantum particles do it all the time. They next borrow to energy that. from well, the future. We'll, we'll it's come back to that. Just one. naughty like that, aren't they? But let's say we make something: a couple of particles, a tiny universe. That's got positive energy because it's stuff. Mm-hmm. 
But all of that stuff has got gravitational attraction to everything else, which is negative energy. Mm. Total energy, zero. Then play that forward in what has now conveniently become time, because before that, remember, there wasn't even space-time. Because <laughs> yeah. space and time are part of the universe. They're, they're tied into all of this. And so now moving this forward in space-time, that huge explosion expands. Amount of gravitational energy in total remains the same as the amount of other stuff in the universe. And the total energy of everything remains zero. And so you can do calculations which suggest that this is this is a plausible idea for the universe that we're in. Now, that sounds really, really simple in a sense. It's sort of, well, it's the same as a ball going down a hill, right? You've got zero energy at the top, and then down the bottom, you've got lots of kinetic energy, and the gravitational energy is negative. It's the same idea. Mm. Easy. Why did it take why did that take so long? Turns out it's not not quite that simple, that that doing calculations about the universe is actually complicated. Yeah, yeah. And I think although it sort of nicely wraps up a sort of a fundamental question which would come if I I came along with my answer and said you got your 10 to the 70 joules of energy, there's this fundamental law of energy conservation which you learn the first time you sort of encounter physics as as a discipline and it's saying energy is conserved. Just like your ball, your kinetic energy is converted to gravitational potential energy and back again, right? You, but the total amount of energy in the system is exactly the same, no matter what form yep. the energy is in. That's the idea. So one can say, well, this 10 to the 70 joules of energy that's in this particular form now, clearly it hasn't always been in that form. It wasn't in that form at the Big Bang, but what was it at the Big Bang? <laughs> yeah, that's – I mean – there are so many That's places a- where things get really, really complicated. So let's let's wind back the clock to the very beginning in a in a minute. But I just wanted to just like draw a little line under this this notion of it's a very simple idea of the total energy of the universe is actually zero. There we are. Quick, everyone get photos. That's a great idea, right? We've we've solved it. But the the greatest minds in in physics across the last hundred years, from you know Einstein through, you know, George Gamow, through um, Hawking and, you know, Richard Feynman, like they've all worked on this. It's not the trivial idea of it's like a ball rolling down a hill. Mm. You've got to look at the really complicated mathematical models in general relativity and particle physics of universes which which may or may not be rotating and rotating messes things up and what's the shape of the universe and does this even make sense and how do you add up all the energy anyway and what even is this stuff? And when you get there, it's only in the last like 10 years that physics has managed to get to the point where we're pretty comfortable with the theories that we've got about the universe actually being consistent with, no, it really could be zero. Like that, that's more than just an idea. That's actually possible, built into the theories themselves. It's all consistent. Mm. What you don't want is all the mathematics to then fall apart as soon as you put in a zero. Yeah. And it don't divide by it. To. Yeah, definitely don't divide by it. Although Richard Feynman did that a lot. But anyway, um, the point is that there's a, you know, I, I would say the majority of cosmologists now would say, yeah, that that seems like a decent idea. You know, it's not just that it might be zero. It's like that that kind of makes sense with the whole notion of a Big Bang. But then you've got to like 
wind the clock back to the Big Bang and go, well, what 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 even was there? Mm. What was what was there at the time? And that's where things get really, really slippery. To the point where, like Hawking talked about this in 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 a brief history of time, mm-hmm. is is what do they what do they call it the 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 bestseller that no one ever read. <laughs> it's on so many people's bookshelves. Like wow, that's really dense. But he came up with this with this idea that as you go back towards the event of the Big Bang, there's this very uncomfortable moment where you go, yeah, but but what's at that point? Like mm. that the singularity, mm. as it's called, like when everything is so infinitely densely together. Like what what is that? And Hawking and plenty of contemporaries kind of sidestep around it by going, it gets really fuzzy back there. (laughs) And maybe instead of it sort of imagine space and time coming down to a point, maybe it's not a point. Maybe it's kind of rounded. Maybe space and time are a little bit more like the surface of the Earth where the coordinates of space and time aren't straight lines coming together, but they... They curve, and the whole notion of the very beginning instant of time goes away and just curves around and avoids itself, and you can sidestep this entire notion. It's complex. It's it's really subtle, complex stuff, but this is what theoretical physicists and cosmologists spend their time doing. It does sound pretty typical for theoretical physicists and so on to come up with zero as a solution. I mean, mathematicians love zero, right? Yeah. Everyone loves zero. Yeah, yeah. It's so elegant. It just it feels right, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm always a bit sceptical when things come out to be beautiful numbers like that. But in this case, it would be – I mean, so much of theoretical physics is about elegance, right? And you can push that too far. You can you can use it as a guiding principle too far to say, this theory must be correct because it's the beautiful ones. Like the universe doesn't have to be that no. way. The universe can do whatever it likes. And maybe there's another much more elegant thing that you haven't thought of that the universe kind of likes. But the notion of something from zero is actually really attractive because we actually do see it. You know, you talked about this before. We see it all the time happening around us, right? The universe is constantly borrowing tiny amounts of energy for very small amounts of time in what are called virtual particles, right? In in the universe around us, everywhere, all the time, right now, in every tiny little bit of space, there are little pairs of particles, you know, an electron and an anti-electron, popping into existence, borrowing a tiny amount of energy from the universe or from the vacuum, and then almost instantaneously vanishing again by you know, annihilating each other. And that's happening constantly, mm, mm. all the time across the infinite universe, or yep. at least across across the universe as we know it. And maybe, and they, those are called quantum fluctuations, right? Little, little wiggles in the quantum universe. And the notion that the Big Bang started with some kind of fluctuation like that, that there was just nothing, whatever that means. Like, it's not nothing in space and time. It's It's like, Nothing, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Borrowed this little bit of energy to make some stuff, and you've got negative energy in the form of gravity there now. Hmm. And some other mechanism, which goes by the name these days of inflation, inflationary mm-hmm. cosmology, blew that up in some ridiculous process that increased its size by breathtaking amounts in tiny fractions of a second. And suddenly you've got a universe. But the notion that, that, these quantum processes that are happening all the time could have made the universe is just really tantalizing. 
It is, it is. And perhaps there's a link between that zero and the critical density being pretty much the critical density that, well, the density of, of matter that we observe yeah. in the universe today. They're not perhaps disjointed phenomena. Yeah, I mean, it could be. It could be that the one necessitates the other, mm. that, that if you are going to have zero overall, then why would it be surprising that everything is really finely balanced? There are, there are theoreticians who spend their entire careers working on that notion of the finely tuned universe. Hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's wild stuff. The one thing about having a zero-sum universe, let's, yep. say, let's call it, is that you do take away some of the possibilities for the eventual fate of the universe. Right. So this is one thing I did skim through when I was um, writing up my notes for today. Mm-hmm. So the idea is if you've got a zero-sum universe, all your forms of energy eventually will tend to zero. So your gravitational energy, which is negative, but that will eventually tend towards zero. Your mass density will eventually, as the universe expands, will eventually tend towards zero. Your vacuum energy or dark energy will eventually tend towards zero as your time tends towards infinity. Now, that means that you've taken away, I guess, all the other options of what can happen. You've taken away your big crunch. You certainly can't have that in a zero-sum universe because your gravity would be overcoming the rest of your energy. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So you're left with your heat death universe. and. It's an interesting, I think I'm, I probably mentioned it before, I think it's an interesting human psychological phenomenon that I don't think we like the idea of a heat death. It just feels wrong. You know, yeah. even even the cataclysmic big crunch feels like, well, if you're going to go, yeah. do it properly. But that, you know? that feels like big crunch universes where the, and even perhaps a rebounding universe where it goes crunch, bang, crunch, bang, crunch, bang. That feels to many people like a good sort of, the way it should be because it's it's cyclic. It's mm. um, we see so many cyclic processes, sure. I guess, in the, in the in our lives and so on. Death and rebirth, and, yeah. You know, like that, it's, it's tied regi- into so many philosophies and, and yeah. theology, and, and it feels sort of like the universe goes on, and that's yeah. that's good and that's yeah. fine. Even if we don't, something will. Yes. Yeah. Whereas heat death is very much. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly the sound. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. That it's is everything it. just, just rips apart. So you get yeah. sort of instead of five protons per cubic meter, you get almost none, mm. and they just sit there in space and feel a bit sad. Yeah, which is maybe yeah. they decay. I don't Depressing. know. Dep- well, I mean, ultimately, yeah. We, you know, we there are there are questions around the ultimate stability of of all matter. Mm. You know, we we think that there are some particles which are stable forever, but. Asterisk, you know, maybe not. Maybe not. In which case, maybe, yeah, it all just decays to radiation, which then ultimately, with the expansion of the universe, tends to zero energy as the photons get stretched out to lower and lower and lower frequencies. Um, Nothing. theoretical physicists, cosmologists who are working on the zero energy, just just remember that that is your your universe fate. If you're going to go down that road. I mean, can I just point out? It's not their fault. Like they're not they're not <laughs> no. imposing this on the universe any more than astronomers are imposing anything through no. their measurements. But yeah, it's a fair point that maybe we could just stop thinking about this for a little while <laughs> until we're a bit more comfortable. So, does that leave us with the answer to the question finally? Well, I think it does. I think it leaves us with two possibilities. It leaves us with the amount of energy in the universe is either a stupendously big number that you could never wrap your head around, even if you tried, mm-hmm. or literally zero. 
Yeah. And I think you choose whichever one of those makes you more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think our work here is done. Could have done it in half an hour. What are we doing? Well, listeners, if that hasn't put you off the idea of sending in your question to uh, to form the basis for a uh, an episode of Syzygy, I mean, look, we took what was a very simple question, how much energy is there in the universe? And I don't know, we, we somehow ended up at the heat death of the universe. So that's it's gonna, It's always going to happen. It was always going to happen. Very sad. But listen, if you do want to get in touch, if you've got... A, an idea or a thought or a question or a criticism that has come out of this discussion or anything else that has crossed your path, then you can get in touch with us with a whole bunch of ways. Emily, how do people do that? Well, you need to go and put your question into the friendly little question box on syzygy.fm, the website. Yes, that's what Eve did. And it worked. Look how well it worked. Brilliantly. Whole yeah. episode out. And of it. it's not the first time. It's not. It's not. We've probably had about four or five yeah. episodes over the course of the last hundred and something. Mm. So you too can do that. Go to syzygy.fm and uh, you can find all sorts of stuff. You can find our past episodes, mm. every episode going back to episode number one. Links and to the remaining socials. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. What, what remains. Instagram. We're on the Instagrams and Facebook and all of those places. As well as a page devoted to our fabulous financial supporters from patreon.com. Go over to patreon.com slash syzygypod if you want to become one of those, and you too will get your name on our great cosmic wall of thanks. But look, the main way that you can support the show is just by telling everyone you know about this fabulous thing called Syzygy. They talk about weird stuff like how much energy is there in the universe, and maybe it's actually literally zero. And if people's brains get exploded by that, then they'll enjoy the other things that we talk about too. So spread the word is what I'm saying. But until next time, I guess, Emily, I mean, I'm going to be going away fairly soon. Yeah, you've got all this work to do in the other hemisphere. I do. I'm heading down to Australia. I've got some stuff going on down in Sydney. But look, I'm going to take a microphone with me. And you've got a microphone here. And the wonders of modern technology says we should be able to keep doing something. Might not be weekly, but we'll keep going. Yes. Good. In that case, we'll catch you next time. See you later, everybody. See you later. Bye. Bye.